0: Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. You can see everybody here today. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're tuning in. Uh regretfully we didn't have our special music today. Both Brian and Joanne are going through trials and um we ask you to keep them both in your prayers, uh facing health challenges or, or in their home. And uh so let's lift them and, and Mike Forbes as well in prayer in our prayers. So we'll get right into the word today. We're in Ephesians 6. Today we're looking at another piece in the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness. So before we dive into that, let's bow together in prayer. Ask the Lord to open our minds to what He would have us our hearts, to what He would have us grasp today. Lord, Jesus, we come in Your name. You're a strong tower. We ask for You to send Your Holy Spirit to us and fill us today. Give us grace to... Receive your word and understand it. Apply it in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd open up this passage of Ephesians for us and help us to put on the full armor of God so we can stand in the day of evil, having done everything to stand. Lord, equip us. And may the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you. May they be inspired by you, by your Holy Spirit. Father, we're asking in your Son's wonderful name. You're our rock and redeemer, Lord Jesus. So, standing on that rock today. Thank you and praise you. Amen. So, just a reminder, we're in a war. A war with a deadly enemy. And God has provided defenses and weapons to help us stand in the battle against that enemy. Each piece of armor is important, and each piece teaches us something about the war. So if there's a defect in the armor, in the place of that defect, we will be vulnerable in the battle. So just how vulnerable with the breastplate of righteousness we're going to see today. Uh, last week we looked at the belt of truth and just and saw a bit about why that's so important. Uh, today we consider this piece of the armor. You know that in physical armor, a breastplate, and I'm gonna just just picture it a minute, uh, for a minute in your minds, a breastplate covers this whole part of your body, uh, from your waist all the way up to your neck. And it's vital because it covers the chest and the stomach, the vital organs, and it guards the heart and, and the vital organs. So it's a key piece of the armor in physical battle. Uh, you know, that even today when the police go out and they're expecting to have a, a gunfight, that they wear neck to waist armor because that's the primary place bullets would be fired. You know, the head, of course, being vulnerable too, but we'll get to the helmet of salvation later. <laughs> so this has a spiritual corollary. Uh, Ruth read in Proverbs 4, that passage, verse 20 to 23, it helps us see that corollary. My son, pay attention to what I see, what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. A breastplate over your heart. You're probably is not simply talking about the muscle in your chest that pumps blood. It's not a warning to watch out for your cholesterol level. Now, in the biblical conception, the heart represents the mind, the will, and the emotions acting together. It's the seat of your motivation. Why you do what you do, what you choose. When you feel things, you feel them in your chest, Right? You don't really feel them in your head. Your head might be full of confusing thoughts, but when you feel bad, you feel it here. You feel it in your heart. When you weep, it's not just a mental activity. It involves your emotions, and you feel it here in your chest and your heart. You know, many people, after a, a night of weeping over something really painful, some painful loss, they will talk about it the next day as if their heart was cleansed by that rain of tears. And the mind might have a fog lifted from it, but the feeling of cleansing is experienced in in the heart, the seat of who you are, the place where you make decisions about life, where you choose to obey God or resist Him, where you're enslaved or set free. Continuing the thought further, the writer of Hebrews warns against the sin of unbelief. He says it like this, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. As you did in a rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me for 40 years so they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart it turns away from the living God. You see that the heart is a part of us from which we choose to be vulnerable to God, to believe and trust and obey Him, or from which we may resist Him and harden ourselves against Him. Now, maybe you can see now why this breastplate is so important. It guards your heart, this breastplate of righteousness. It guards the essence of your motivation, your will, and your emotions. Proverbs 4.23 continues giving a a hint of what guarding the heart looks like. It begins, above all all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And then it says, keep your mouth, now listen to these, these little key points. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the past for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil uh, and just backing up a little bit, uh, some of you are in the through the year in the Bible reading uh, on the u uh, version Bible app, and we've been in Proverbs right now, and Proverbs instructs from the beginning that these little teachings are to help the wise walk in the ways of righteousness to know them so that you guard your, your heart. So in, in this Proverbs 4 passage, the, the author is telling us what guarding your heart looks like. It means keep your lips free from perversity, to keep corrupt talk far from your mouth. It means to keep your eyes straight ahead, to be steadfast and keep your feet on the narrow path. Now to keep your eyes steadfast or fixed is another way of saying keep your attention focused. Keep your attention focused on the straight and narrow path of integrity and righteousness. You know, on the simplest terms, keeping the breastplate of righteousness in good shape means living a righteous life. If we do what's right, if we live righteous and blameless lives, we will have spiritual protection for the heart. You know, keep these commands and live. If we compromise morally, cooperate in wrongdoing, let corrupt talk take over our minds and lips, leave the straight and narrow way, we are removing some of the breastplate. We're opening a way for attack on the heart, the very seat of who we are, where our motive power for living comes from. And the enemy will take advantage of that. He'll take advantage of moral compromises, our unrepentant sins, our unrighteous deeds, and evil attitudes not just to further his own destructive plans by using us as his pigeons, but he sees the resulting weakness, the weak spots in our armor when we do that, and he places he can legitimately attack us, direct his darts through those holes against our will, our motivations, and our emotions. So when the breastplate of righteousness starts Rusting, falling apart, chinks in it. That's the place where the enemy can get through and stir up our emotions with painful and unmanageable stuff, overwhelming stuff. That's why those who compromise with evil evil have a hard time of it in life. It can affect their very will, their motives, their power to choose. At thinking by compromising, they're finding an easier path, they are actually led into a trap, a snare that binds them. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. They feel bad. Either their conscience afflicts them or they harden themselves to its voice or both. It's actually crazy making. And that's, of course, the devil's plan. To make us crazy, to bind and trap us and render us ineffective. And to destroy us. Now you can see why it's so important to guard your heart. To put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, Anybody could have told you that out of the Old Testament, right? You read the law of Moses and it talks from beginning to end. If you do this law, if you keep it, then that'll be your righteousness. That'll be your defense. The problem is no one can do right all the time, right? We need a righteousness that surpasses our best efforts. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and Sadducees, I tell you, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. you know That was shocking for his audience to hear. The Pharisees especially, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the most religious and most holy, and at least on the surface, most righteous people in first century Judean culture. They were the good people of their day. How, Jesus' words must have been totally shocking to his audience. But theirs, you see, was a legalistic righteousness, projecting an outer facade of holiness but hiding corruption within, hiding greed, malice, hypocrisy, and disdain for others, all while neglecting the weightier matters of mercy and justice, generosity and compassion. In short, it was their own righteousness rather than God's. Paul understood the dangers of depending on one's own self-righteousness. The bent to pride, hypocrisy, and delusion it fosters. He'd been a Pharisee himself, right? Aligning himself to persecute the church because he thought they were fake and he was so righteous he had to get in there and punish those people. So Paul writes about it. In Romans 7, writing about himself, I know that in me, that is in my sinful flesh, there dwells no good thing. Woe is me, wretched man that I am. What will I do for this problem? Not just that I got a bit of dirt on the outside of me, or even a a bit of dirt on my heart, but I'm just through and through, shot through with sin. What am I going to do with myself? I'm in trouble. Woe is me. Thanks be to God, he said through Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The sinful part of me has been executed with him on the cross. I've been buried and identified with him in baptism. So it's no longer I who live, who, but Christ lives who lives in me. The life I live is now by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the kind of righteousness that stands up for good permanently against the enemy. Not our own, but Christ. You see, we're every one of us, potential or actual Pharisees, characterized by our own righteousness instead of God's. And Paul learned that he needed something better than that. That's why in finding Jesus, he finally figured out, I can let go of myself and my grinding wicked, hypocritical, halfway, fake measures of presenting my own righteousness by trying to say I'm always keeping the law. There's a new kind of righteousness revealed in Christ. God promised he would give us a new righteousness in Messiah. It would be greater than the legalistic self-righteousness of banking on keeping the law. In Christ, he would write his laws on our hearts and minds. Maybe you remember that Old Testament prophecy Promising that in the New Covenant. Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I will write my law on their hearts and minds. And they'll all know me. You see, the first work of God, the first act of righteousness in the New Covenant is to believe in Jesus. It just seems so simple, right? It actually is. It's quite simple. You know, I was thinking about Lee Strobel. If you listen to his testimony you know, and the kind of hardness of heart that had built up in his life, and some of it was from alienation from his father, and some of it was his own pride and his, his unbelieving skepticism, and he finally comes to the conclusion through his resistant study of the, of the evidence for Christ that Jesus really is the Messiah. And then he realized, I've got to make a choice. This demands a choice. If Jesus is the promised Messiah of God, the eternal Son of God, I gotta decide what to do. Read really, his story, his wife helped him, his wife helped him figure out a little bit what would that mean. And it, it, it meant surrender, receive. And when he received Christ, and he specifically said, I receive you, Lord, I don't even really know totally what that means, but I get that you are who you say you are. And I receive you. Come in. And do in me what you want to do. And, and, and like, he began to be transformed amazingly from this hard-boiled, self-centered, self-righteous, judging others man, you know, on the attack for the Chicago newspaper to now a pastor who wins people to Jesus and explains the love of God and the evidence for God. Now, this story is not unique. It's the story of many of us. It's a common story. But when you receive Jesus, God gives you his righteousness. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans 3. He says, now, apart from the law, this is super important. Listen to this. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one, Romans 3 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. If you read the Old Testament and you start reading the law, you find out, oh man, look at how good I am. (laughs) No. You find out, oh my gosh, look how I messed up. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Oh, I did that, right? Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And what's the point of that? so that we can become aware of our need for the Savior. Amen? But now, Paul continues, but now, apart from the law, get that, it's not the law that's going to make you eternally righteous. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. In other words, the Old Testament points to this new righteousness. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If you believe in Jesus, God is giving you his righteousness. Get that? Amen? And he goes on to say there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Jews aren't better off because they have the law. They just know their sin better. Right? We all, if we're going to come into glory, but it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely. By His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Folks, I want you to hear this. you got sin and unrighteousness in your heart. You need to deal with it, right? You need to name it. You need to get it out. You need to confess it. You need to repent. But you don't have to be stuck on that squirrel wheel of just saying, okay, well, I'll try harder to be better. Right? I'll finally earn your love, God, because tomorrow I'll do better than today. That's just the law all over again. An exercise in futility and frustration forever. There's a different righteousness revealed in Jesus when God gives himself to you just because you receive Christ, because you trust him. He continues, all are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood, to be received by faith. Do you get that? You don't have to shed your own blood to save yourself from your sins. Even if you did, it wouldn't redeem you. The Son of God shed His blood for you. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. God's righteousness. Because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time. So as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Alright, so I want you to hear that. first work of God is to believe in Jesus. The first act of righteousness that gives faith. A faith that gives righteousness. Abraham believed God, it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God. Such faith must be accompanied by deeds to be genuine. we we got to turn from our wicked ways and attitudes and do what's right. The point of Christian faith is not just to say, yep, yep, I got the righteousness in God now, and I can go off and do whatever I want. Yeah. That problem has crept up, crept up periodically in the history of the church. It's called antinomianism. It means without any law at all, including the law of love. No. Real faith produces works. Genuine, godly righteousness that comes from God is characterized by humility and integrity and kindness and compassion, sympathy for the downtrodden, identifying with those who are caught in sin because you know what it's like to have been there yourself. It's characterized not by judging others, but by empathizing with them. Not boasting of pride, malice, or envy. You know, you think of Joseph, who... When he was told or realized Mary was pregnant and he was not responsible, it said because he was a righteous man, he decided to put her away quietly. Now this is before the angel revealed to him who was the father of that baby. God. But as a righteous man, he he was not like, oh gosh, I'm going to get even with her. Let's take her out in the street. Let's get her stoned. His righteousness was displayed by his compassion for her, his refusal to publicly humiliate her, or even to hold her accountable for what he didn't know what happened. Right? He resolved to put her away quietly. And then God said, now let me show you what's really going on here. And then he married her. That's a picture of godly righteousness. You can see why God would have picked Joseph to be his son's foster father. You can see. Godly righteousness gives glory to God, recognizing that no good thing can happen without Him, including any good in us. The sooner you can say, I am not a righteous person, I'm a mess, the happier and quicker you'll be getting to the place where you can say, but Jesus is my righteousness. i got nothing to boast of myself. If you want to list my sins, I could detail them and prove it to you. But I'm not relying on that anymore. I've been crucified with Christ. That part of me has been washed away. It's been dealt with. I brought it to the cross. Now this is uh, this need to go from. And following Jesus means genuine repentance, right? It really does mean not just I'm a sinner, but I'm going to keep wallowing in my sins. It means I'm a sinner and I want to be washed clean from it. That's what faith leads to. I want to get the wickedness out of me. I'm sick of it. I hate living oppressed by evil within and without. Jesus set me free. And he'll set free people who come to him. If the Son sets you free, promises. In that same verse, he said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. The very next phrase is, but if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus can set you free. All right, this is why in Matthew 21, 28, Jesus exalts the son who changes his mind about obedience. Here's the parable again. What do you think? There's a man who had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, sure. But he did not go. Now, he was talking to the Pharisees when he said this. The Sadducees, the self-righteous religious, when he said this. And so he asked those people, what do you think? Which of those two did what the Father wanted? The first or the second? The first they answered, and then Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now see, the tax collectors and prostitutes were the people the Pharisees thought were such wicked sinners that they were outside and not able to get the grace of God. But those are the ones who heard the news that if you turn to God and repentance, you can be forgiven. And they responded. That was John's basic message. Turn to God. Stop doing wrong. And you can be forgiven. You can be washed free and and set on a new path. And they were like, I'm desperate for a new path. This life of sin I've chosen is a mess. I can't wait to get out. And I'm hearing the good news that God will forgive me. And I can get on the road of life again. And they responded to that. But the self-righteous religious didn't. And that's why when Jesus came along, they were blind to who He was because they wouldn't repent. And so what I'm saying here is that when you accept and receive Christ, there are steps to take. You may have been in the place where you were saying just a few minutes ago or yesterday or last year, God says this, but I'm not going to do it. Will you go work in the field? Nope, I'm not going to do it. But now you're in a place where you're going to say, I changed my mind. That's repentance. That's what that first son did. That's what the tax collectors and prostitutes did. They had been in that place saying, nope, I'm not going to obey God. I think it'll be better if I just follow my own way. Uh Uh-oh, it's not. And they changed their mind. And they got on the way. And it was those folks who pleased God. When Jesus came along to give the whole picture of what forgiveness looks like, they received it. And then it became much easier to do what's right because God is in you when you're in Christ to help you want to do His will. That's a common experience of Christians throughout the ages. When they hear the good news and they receive Christ, they start to want to obey God. Like, wow! I want to go out and work in that field. Bring it on! Amen? Amen? Well, so now back to the armor. Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. It's a proactive command. If you haven't had the armor on, it is time to put it on. If you haven't been living a righteous life and you've been under attack, feeling it acutely in your heart, your emotions, the seat of your mind and will, it's time to repent and start doing what's right. To tell God, I'm sorry, I renounce those old wicked ways. I confess them. I don't want unrighteousness to be stained in my heart anymore. I don't want rebellion to be the defining aspect of my my character. I repent. Wash me clean. I renounce those old ways of the enemy. Forgive me. I'm asking Jesus. I'm asking in Jesus' name. Wash me clean and fill me with yourself. A new righteousness being revealed from heaven. Christ. Himself, the source of power to do what's right. So it's time to admit our sins and turn away from them. Now, we as Christians, this is like basic Christianity, right? This is Hebrews chapter 6, Christianity 101. Repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, the meaning of baptism. This is how we can get free of moral corruption. And get protection for our heart, our emotions, you know because it's out of your heart that the power the motive force to live life and live it to the fullest to embrace all that God has to you come and when the breastplate is off or it's corroded or in bad shape, the heart is vulnerable, can't live up to what everything God has for it, what he wants for it. This is why in in Luke eleven when Jesus is Rebuking the Pharisees for their sins. And it's a long list of rebukes. But if you read it very carefully, you see that it's a, a prescription, like a medical prescription, for a heart hardened in sin. And he says, Now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Now, this isn't just the Pharisees. This is directed to you. This is anybody who's full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people did not the one who made the outside make the inside also. But now as for what's inside, you be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Now he's given a concrete prescription. Greed has been what masters you. And and so you're totally obsessed with cleanliness because inside you're unclean. It's the spirit of greed. You want to get free of that? Start being generous to the poor. Concrete acts of righteousness. That's a a prescription. And this applies to believers. Our faith is not just supposed to be a mental thing. It's supposed to produce acts of goodness and care and compassion in the way we treat others. Sometimes that means we got to be proactive in crucifying the old self. The propensity to be greedy, to have malice, to hold on to envy, to look at others with spite in our heart and say, Jesus, that is not like you. I'm going to put that to death. And here's how I'm going to show it. I'm going to be good to them. I'm going to treat them well. I'm going to share with them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let go of these. I'm going to renounce. I'm going to throw out these hateful ways inside of me so that I can really live into your righteousness. He's ready to give it to us. Sometimes we really have to repudiate the other stuff, and show it by our deeds. Well, so, brothers and sisters, let's put on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen? Now there's other bits of the armor, but those are for another time. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Amen. Uh, We're going to have a time of prayer here uh, at the altar, and Uh, If you would like to come forward and and pray for anything or anyone, the altar will be open. And if you'd like somebody to pray with you for any need, um, somebody will be available to come forward and pray for you and with you. Uh, And and maybe there's some pieces of your armor today you realize that you need to refurbish, put back in place. You need to ask God to forgive you for some uh, piece of compromise or some a bit of, of devilish ways of the world that you've been dabbling in. You need to have your mouth, or, or in the mouth of your heart cleansed. You need to have your motives cleansed. You need to just admit, hey, there's no good thing in me. I need your, your, you, Jesus. If, if you're there today in any place, you need um, a touch, cleansing, healing. You've had a heart that's damaged because the breastplate's been off. And you realize it today, gosh, man, I made myself vulnerable to those javelins of the enemy. And they're stuck in me. The Lord is ready to pull those out today for you and heal you. He's able to do that. He wants to do that. He is mighty to save. And Jesus' death on the cross, hey, it is enough. doesn't matter what is happening, what you've been through, what you've done, the Son of God, who made the whole universe, has died for you, and there's nothing that's beyond His cleansing power, forgiving power and love to deal with. Amen? Okay. So let's come and get grace today. right? We'll have a time of prayer, and there are folks who've been uh, lifted to me in in a prayer card, which when I find Darlene, it's up here somewhere, we'll pray for those as part of our prayer time together later. And while we're praying, we'll be uh, singing. We will glorify thank you for listening to igniting your faith let god's word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet igniting your faith is copyrighted and published by dr chris fisher and first church Haven, pennsylvania special piano music played by cindy mcclelland You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.